Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Crickets to Cha-Chings. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to share this conversation that I had recently with a student of mine, Alina, who has built such a smart and strategic and thoughtful business that she can bring in multiple streams of revenue while still also being able to stay true to her passion, which is creating very highly customized pieces. I can't wait for you to glean wisdom from her and to really hear about the strategy that she's built and the ability to use the different pieces of her business to sort of fill different parts for her own creative um, fulfillment and also have a profitable business. So let's dive right in. Hey friends, you're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. And welcome back to another episode of Crickets Chicha Chings. My name is Lauren, and I have a very special guest today that I am really excited to have this conversation with. This is Alina, who is going to tell you her last name because I cannot pronounce it. (laughs) But I am really excited to talk to her and to have her share her expertise in a kind of a, a different angle, a different niche than we've talked about before. So, welcome, Alina. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Lauren. So my name is Alina Fedorovich, and my company or like Etsy name is Hipster Stitcher. And yeah, so I'm really excited to talk to you about selling custom products on Etsy, among other things today. Yeah. So kind of give people the backstory of how you got started and what you do, what kind of custom things you make in your own shop. Sure. Awesome. So I got started locally here. I do hand embroidery. So I sell a kind of a combination of custom hand embroidered finished pieces. And then I also sell hand embroidery kits and patterns for both for people to make their own. So I got started in 2019 doing a lot of hand embroidered ornaments, which were all custom and local, like right before the Christmas season. And then right after Christmas, I decided to move on to Etsy so that I could kind of like expand to a broader market. So when I got started on Etsy, I was entirely selling custom finished hand embroidery pieces. And then since that, I've also expanded into like the kits and patterns as well. Okay, cool. So I want to just reiterate for people that this is both a fairly new shop and also custom work. So those are two things that people talk about a lot sometimes in their own experience as like, you know, it's really hard to get found now because I'm really new or is there even a market for, I actually saw this in the Facebook group recently. Somebody said, is there even a market for these more customized personal, you know, like one, not one off, because I guess you could repeat it, but like the custom type artwork on Etsy, because there are so many people who are selling the same things over and over again. So I just want to kind of stress that you are hitting both of those. <laughs> so double whammy. It's very true. And I understand why people like worry about that. And especially with some of the like fiber arts, like, you know, people who do like 
uh, well, like hand embroidery is, is obviously a good example. So that's what I do. And um, like, yeah, I actually wanted to talk about how I got started doing the custom pieces and like marketing that and then kind of like what I found has been successful in that area. Basically, what I like to start selling custom items on Etsy, I took items that I had made for people locally. So like things that people had requested. My first one that sold really well was like a hand embroidered welcome sign with florals underneath the welcome. And so I posted, you know, like, obviously, the way I did that was like, I first created it for someone local, and then I posted it on Etsy. And then more people asked for like the same thing again. But the thing is, I actually... Like I made it a few times, it was successful to start. And I kind of didn't want to keep doing the same thing over and over because with hand embroidery, it takes so long. For me, like I find it boring to stitch the same thing exactly the same every time. So I kind of moved away from that and I don't even offer that sign anymore. But what I moved into was custom hand embroidered bouquets, like your bridal bouquet, hand embroidered or a portrait of your home, also hand embroidered. And so those ones are completely custom to each person who buys it. So like, yeah, the picture you see will not be at all what you get because it's going to be based on your home or your bouquet. So the way that I moved into those was, and it's actually funny. So the bridal bouquet, it was the type of thing where someone requested that first and I had wanted to move into doing those. And so like I created one or two for people who would ask for them like locally or like people I knew. And then I obviously used those pictures to like post on Etsy and make my example listing. And then it kind of grew from there. But actually what I did to move into the houses was like, this was one, and this is like a a tip. I think I wanted to do them, but no one had asked for them yet, but I really wanted to. So I made it into like an Instagram giveaway where I posted that I was going to give whoever won like their own custom house. And so then that gave me one. And then from the one, I was able to create an Etsy listing. So you don't really have to do, you don't really have to have like a ton done to even like make your listing when it's a custom. I think from there I got like, I had the one and then I was able to get more orders on Etsy and then it grew. And I feel like it was great because then I also leveraged like the Instagram to get more followers And I gave one away for free, which was like, it's a good learning experience to do it. And then from there, I was able to like expand. Um, And what I did with both the bouquets and the houses is I just made sure like with the 10 Etsy listing photos was to have like a variety, right? So like once I had done a couple orders, then each photo was a different example of a house or a bouquet. And then I always made sure on my last picture to link to my Etsy, like it was just a photo. And then it had text linking to, sorry, not Etsy, linking to my Instagram to see more. So that way people could go to Instagram if they want to see more examples. And I also did duplicate listing for my bridal bouquet so that I can show more pictures. So I figure if people are like on the fence, they may go to my shop and like look. And then that way they could see both listings for the bouquets and see like 20 different pictures between them of different bouquets I've done, or they could go to my Instagram if they want to see more. So I think that was like one thing that was helpful. And then that way it's like, it's really pretty clear that you're, you're going to get what, like, I mean, the idea of doing your bridal bouquet is pretty simple to explain, but then I feel like people will understand that it's based on their bouquet and not like the example of the one that you see in that color. So I just made sure to have like, examples of very different styles of bouquets and some side by sides with the original like the bouquet next to the actual picture I worked from or the house next to the house that I worked from and so then people kind of understand like what they're getting 
And then I feel like the only other thing you really need to do is just like make sure to answer some of the questions in the listing. Cause like more often than not, the first question you get in a message is like, what are the next steps? Like, what do I do? So I just made sure to put in my listing, like, all you have to do is message me a photo to work from or like a couple photos if you have them. And it's funny because people still always ask that, (laughs) even though it's right in the listing. But yeah, if you can answer any of those questions right in the listing, like it just kind of helps. Yeah, that's funny that you say that because I also have the same experience. Like I, you know, have sold like almost 20, I'm closing in on 20,000 baby quilts and people will message me and be like, there's nowhere that I can add the name. And I'm like, (laughs) obviously, or they'll even say like, can I get this with my kid's name? Like, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, you're like, yes, you don't don't have Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, so I want to go back a little bit. I love that you are talking about this Instagram giveaway situation because that's actually how I also did it in the earlier days when I was trying to add new inventory. And I think that that's a really good tip. You know, it does require you to have some sort of following on Instagram. But even if you honestly, even if you didn't have a social media following for your shop already, you could do it just with your own friends and stuff on your Facebook profile. Like you could do it just with the people that you, or Instagram, Mm -hmm. just with the people that you actually know, even though, you know, it wouldn't be as big for like business growth at that, you know, your personal um, profile. But I like that idea because it allows you, like you said, it allows you to kind of make a prototype of what you're doing or a, When I was earlier in, I mostly did this with baby shirts that I was making, but there were a lot of shops that would just post like mock-up, not even mock-up because that makes it sound better than it was, but like you buy these embroidery designs online and they would basically just screenshot the picture of the embroidery design and then list it with that picture, even though they hadn't created the product. Right. My experience with that, that was kind of a dangerous thing because sometimes the design ended up like really not stitching out well and it sure. and it wasn't something that you wanted to keep doing or people were expecting it to be like that exact pattern and colors mm. and everything and whatever you had to change it so long story short <laughs> i think that it's beneficial to you to have that one that you're like okay i'm going to give this away for free or even if people didn't want to do it for free you could do it just a discount like a deep discount yeah for sure um, just to get somebody to buy that first one so that you can do it and then take pictures of it mm-hmm. and then like you said from there it's so easy for people to say like i really like this one but i want to change this thing about it or you know, I want you to do a custom one for me that's all about my house or my flowers or whatever. Yes, exactly. I mean, I did my first Instagram giveaway when I had like 50 followers. I'm not even joking. Like, I feel like I've just been, I haven't done like a ton of them. But even when you have a few, I feel like it it does help. Like if you make it so that people have to tag a friend or something like that, I feel like it does help to grow your following. I also think it just helps like, because... And if people want to go back and listen to the episode that I had with Kristen Burney in January, we talked all about Instagram, but you know, people get really hung up on the idea of like growing their following, growing their following all the time, growing. Mm. (laughs) But you know, there is something to be said for having like really engaged followers, not necessarily just more and more and more followers. Because I mean, if you have 20,000 followers who don't care and they're never going to buy anything from you, that's not beneficial. So even if you have 50 followers, like 
that are going to actually engage with you and do, you know, like your posts and comment and buy your stuff that that's more profitable. (laughs) Oh my God, I totally agree. (laughs) Yeah. So talk to me then about kind of getting that on Etsy. Like how do you go from selling these locally, making them all custom made to order and all of that to having a shop that you can continue to get your name out there with it and have these, you know, highly customized products. Like you're not repeating anything here. Yeah. It's funny because it's been kind of like, (laughs) it definitely like my shop has grown over time. Um, and I feel like the houses and the bouquets, like Definitely was like steady growth. But to be honest, one of my biggest downfalls or whatever at the beginning that I would advise people to do differently is that I really underpriced at first because I wasn't confident and I was like, you know, oh, I only have the one example pick or whatever it is at the time. And I just, you know, want to sell more of them and that kind of thing. So I was really not charging enough for them. And literally the biggest thing I did, and I know this sounds like so easy, but the biggest thing I did that led to a really big increase for me was to increase the price to make it more reflective of the time that it took me. And like, yeah, I guess just the value of the product. I want to stop you there because I want to really hammer in on this. This is something that so many people struggle with and it's completely counterintuitive. (laughs) You know, you think if I price this really cheap, people are going to buy it and I'm going to have more sales. And that has not been my experience. That's not been your experience. Mm -hmm. Like there is a perceived value that people are understanding from the way that you're pricing things. So if you price it at like nothing, then their perceived value of it is that it's not worth very much. Hey guys, I am popping in here really quick to remind you that if you are struggling getting traffic to your Etsy shop, the best way to start or the best place to start with that is my SEO checklist. This is a free download that you can get at my website, laurenkeplinger.com forward slash checklist. And it walks you through the eight most important steps to optimize your SEO for your Etsy shop. I hope you'll check that out at laurenkeplinger.com forward slash checklist and get your SEO optimized so you can get more traffic to your shop with less work and harnessing the power of that Etsy search. Oh, it's so funny because like when I think back to like, I don't know, last spring or so when I was trying to get like more hits on the bouquets and stuff, I was doing sales and all that. And like, I was already priced low. So like, it just wasn't really worth it at that point. And so I remember I I talked to someone who also like was a maker and she was like, is that really like enough? Like, are you getting enough? I was charging like $80 or something at one point uh, when I started for, and that's 80 Canadians. That's even probably less. That's yeah, definitely like closer to 50. I'd say you have something crazy low for the amount of time it takes. Right. I first posted them and I was like, well, well, no one's going to pay like $200 for them. And she's like, I paid 200 something dollars for a portrait of my cat. Like people (laughs) like, and then sure enough, like I just slowly raised, slowly raised to where I kind of had a price in my head that I was thinking like, okay, well, this is probably what it would be worth in terms of my time. Cause it takes me like, it takes me a week to make each one just working a a few hours in the evening though. Cause this is my, like my side hustle, but it could be like 15 hours. So obviously just to account for my time, it has to be, you know, a certain price. And so I was like, okay, I want to get to the point where I'm at least making enough for my time and all that. 
And uh, sure enough, like I just raised it. And then I just was able to finally like keep raising it got to get to that point. And literally, that was the biggest thing. From the time that I raised my prices, which was last July, I never had a break in terms of like orders, like custom orders that were coming in. Like I ended up just having a list, a list of um, people waiting. And literally the one thing I did to get there was just to raise my prices, which I just, yeah. So that's kind of why, especially with people who are doing things like, you know, any kind of fiber art, like crochet or knitting or hand embroidery or anything like that. It takes so much time that I feel like people have this mentality of like, I just want to sell them. I don't even care. But it is important to like be compensated for your time and the effort. And I think that there are people who will pay for that. And for me, no one ever really has like said anything like, you know, how can you charge that much? Nothing like that. People are definitely willing to pay it because I think they can see like the value of it. And you can always put in your description, like, you know, each one of these is made like with love over like 15 hours or whatever it is. Like I definitely have said something like that. So people know it does take time and effort for sure. For sure. And I think that, that you are making a really good point there that like, you've never had people that have balked at the price. But I I think that probably that is because when you're pricing it fairly for the time and the skill and the effort and everything, the expertise that you've built up over years of doing this, you attract a person who wants that from you. Like if you charge $200 or $300 for an embroidery thing, you're not hopefully attracting that bargain shopper because you know there's a mismatch there. That's so you begin yeah. to attract the people who are more a fit for what you're actually selling. And I I also think that even in industries where it's not necessarily that time consuming, I still think that it's like really important to price your product in a way that shows the value for the quality and the skill that you have. Because Mm -hmm. as time has gone on with Etsy, there are a lot more mass produced products on there, whether we like it or not, or whether it's like against the rules of Etsy or not, Mm -hmm. whatever, (laughs) you know, you can make those arguments, but it is what it is. And I think that the lower you price things in certain categories of products, the more people are likely to think that it's not really handmade. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, especially there are a lot of um, people who knock off like Etsy sellers, hand embroidery patterns and stuff, and then resell. So I feel like that's a really good point. One other thing I also wanted to say about in terms of like going on with the customs onto Etsy. One other thing I really recommend is finding like, (laughs) this is kind of funny, but like, to explain, but like a category. So like for me, like the bouquets or the the homes, it's like one type of work. And there's a few reasons I did that. But one of them is with hand embroidery, like at first, I was getting a lot of different random, totally random requests, right? Like people would see something on Pinterest and be like, could you make something like this? Could you make that? And I feel like one of the problems with that is like, accurately estimating the amount of time it's going to take, how much you should charge for it, that kind of thing. And so a lot of times I'd be like, oh yeah, that'll be easy. And I'd set a price and then it would take me like double to the time that I thought it would or whatever. So I feel like the one good thing about the hand, the houses and the bouquets was that I was able to kind of like figure out a formula. Like I knew it would take me about a week doing my just my like evenings, uh, like maybe six evenings of doing a couple hours. 
And I knew the sizes, like the th- three size option I would give them and how much extra time that would add. I knew kind of like how much floss I would need, how much time I would need to make the pattern, like all of that kind of stuff. So it became a lot easier to like accurately price. So now I have like a set price for each of those sizes. And even though some bouquets are, you know, like less complicated than others or same with some houses, I have like a general formula. So I'm never kind of surprised how much work it's going to take. It's always going to be kind of within that like realm. And I feel like that's very helpful for customs too. So like, yes, it's fully custom. It's a hundred percent. My pattern is based on your house or your bouquet, but it's not like I'm reinventing the wheel each time trying to decide what fabric am I going to use? How am I going to design the pattern? How am I going to do it? Like it's kind of custom, but it's like a set process. So I feel like that's been very helpful for me in terms of making it as standardized as possible which is something I learned from you, like just in general, like valuing the time and everything and being efficient. Yeah. I think that you really don't want in terms of basically what you're saying is that you found a way to systematize it, even though it's custom. And I think that that is crucial to not ending up in a situation like you're talking about where when you have every single piece being custom, You don't want after every single order to be like, well, junk, I way underpriced that one. (laughs) Like, well, this has been a really a nightmare that's taken me 40 hours when I thought it was going to take me 10 because the next time you go to price it, you're going to just run into the exact same thing. So you have to figure out this sort of formulaic way of pricing things or valuing your time and your time you know, with almost all of us, but especially something that is more time consuming, your time is going to be the bulk of it, not necessarily the actual supplies. Yes. And like another thing about the time, especially for like those that are more time consuming is something you really have to consider as you go on. But even like, to be honest, as early as possible, is whether you actually want to do something. So like, You know, at first, I feel like everyone's just so happy, you know, when you're starting out, it's like so exciting to get any orders and that kind of thing. I mean, that's fine if it's like your first order, but I really like I'm fine with turning things down if it's not the style that I want to do, or if it's not something that I'm going to want to do again, or if it's not something I can like leverage into any kind of future work. So I'm always kind of trying to think strategically of if someone asks me to do something and it's something that I'm like, oh, this would be great because. I'll do it custom for them, but then I can like resell the pattern that I create or I can do X, Y, Z with it, or I want to do more of those. That's really like, there's more value in it than what you're just charging the person. But it's something where it's like, okay, I'll do it, but I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to do it again. (laughs) I feel like it's fine to say no to those. And sometimes it's like, I don't know. It's really, I feel like I'm, maybe it's a woman thing, but like, I feel like we're more people pleasers and we want to make everyone happy. And it's so hard to say no sometimes when people like, especially when sometimes I like work up the urge to say no to someone like super nicely. And, you know, and then they're like, really, they, they like try to press, like they're like, like arguing with you. <laughs> yeah, please move it. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like getting so hard. But, but I do feel like it's important, especially with something that takes a long time because your time is valuable. And if you're putting time in and you're just going to sell that one off product and it's not like an avenue you want to go down further, then I feel like you just kind of have to ask yourself yourself like if it's worth it. So I do feel like with the customs having a strategic lens of like, is this going to be something that I can then add to my listing photos because it's a great example of what I can do and I want to do more things like that. Like if so, then I feel like, you know, make more of an effort to get that sale. But if not, then 
it's okay to say no to it. <laughs> yeah, completely. And I think that that's, you know, when you said that about any the fiber art crafts, mm. like crocheting or whatever, and people that are just like, oh, I don't even care. I just want to sell some stuff. I think that there is a lot of that on Etsy, but it's really a mindset issue more than anything. Because the thing is like, it doesn't have to be black or white. It doesn't have to be either you make things that you hate and you like slog away doing something that you hate all the time and you make a lot of money or you make what you love and you make no money. <laughs> like yeah. they don't have to be cut and dry like that. You know, you can make the things that you want to be making and still compensate yourself financially in a way that is meaningful to you and makes it worth your while. Yeah, I feel like I have fully stopped selling some of my at the time bestsellers, which is like so hard to do because of these kinds of things. Like number one, what the amount of time it took for the return, which is like something you talk about all the time. And I probably learned from you. And also like stuff that I just didn't enjoy. Like I was seeing those welcome signs after doing a couple of them. I was like, I cannot do any more of them. Like I, it's not worth it. I don't want to. And I feel like that's why I moved into like the houses and the bouquets for me were the way that I could like do something different each time and like be challenged and figure out how I was going to represent those flowers or whatever. Like that's what made it fun for me. So I feel like that's such a big part of it where it's like, I'm doing something that I'm getting compensated for, but I'm also just having fun and I just enjoy doing it, which I feel like is like, obviously something you can't go wrong when you're doing. Right. It's huge. And it allows you to continue to want to do it. You know, there will come a point if you're making stuff that you hate making that you're not going to want to do it anymore. And I also had that experience. Like I had some things that were really, really good sellers. Like I sold hundreds and hundreds of them. But every time I would get an order for it, I had like a feeling of dread. And I'm like, okay, you know what? This is not serving me anymore. Like it's not worth it to me that I don't have to do this. You know, I don't have to be in a position mm-hmm. where I get an order and I'm like, Oh God, I don't <laughs> want to do this one. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not a good feeling. Yeah. yeah. So talk to me about kind of where you're going with your shop now and what you think the future of your business holds for you. Oh my gosh. It's like, I don't know. I'm so excited about so many things. And actually it's kind of funny because I'm talking to you mostly about customs, but right now my customs are on hold like I'm not accepting any. And that's just because things kind of blew up in November, I got to the point where I was getting so many and um, I had to like close my close the orders. And it took me from like, November till end of January, just to catch up on all of my orders. Yeah, which is not like a good place to be in, right? Because you want to be able to turn things around like for people sooner. And those last few, I told them it was going to be that long, and they didn't mind. But going forward, I think I'm going to actually change the way I do. I think I'm just going to like open spots for let's say like four customs in a month. And then once those are gone, it's gone. So kind of like change that a little bit. Now that there's like more of like a wait list and that kind of thing for my customs. But in the meantime, I'm definitely I also have gotten really into like the patterns and the kits that I'm selling. I'm teaching some classes like some virtual classes. So I'm like, kind of doing a little bit of everything, which, yeah, maybe it's not, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people uh, say to like focus, but I, I don't know, I really love the variety of like, having the ready made kits for people to do and the PDFs, and then also doing the customs so that I can, like enjoy stitching myself. And then like the teaching, I, I do love sharing the embroidery with other people. So those are kind of like all things that I'm doing simultaneously. As yeah. a side 
with kids. I love that. And I think, so like you joined the program in September of last year Mm -hmm. and like kind of what I'm gathering from you is that the ability to have those more, I wouldn't say passive because you're still having to put together the kits and everything, but the things that are not nearly as time consuming that allows you to like bring in that revenue that's more consistent on an ongoing basis with people that are finding you in the search. And then you could do the custom orders more for your own like creative outlet and also higher priced items, but, but the creative fulfillment too. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, I feel like I just learned so much from the program and like, it's really been, (laughs) it's funny. It's been literally like exponential growth since then, like month over month. So it's been really great. And I do feel like it's just allowed me to think a lot more strategically about things and I don't think I could ever make enough just doing customs as I could also with like selling the kits because it, because it is so time consuming to do embroidery right. as the, the kits are like a really good source of revenue. And it's just like fun. Like I actually really just enjoy teaching and, and like I develop those sometimes like from when I teach a class in person or virtually, and then I, and then I turn it into a pattern or whatever. So it's different revenue streams and it's different, like, it's creative in a different way. And uh, the PDF too is like the most passive of all of them. So yeah, I feel like it's nice to have the different, like they serve very different purposes. And I feel like that can be hard because like, you know, you always talk about like your dream customer and all that kind of stuff and they're, they're different, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but for now, I <laughs> like, I think you've gone about it really strategically and really smartly because there are so many people who have, and so many of us come into this with a passion for the creative side of it. And you don't want to lose that by being kind of stuck. You know, people feel really like boxed in with, oh my gosh, I'm going to be making the same thing over and over and over and over again, you know, 20,000 times. Yeah. And that is not something that bothers me, <laughs> but there are a lot of people like I understand that there are people who are in those super creative, like intricate categories that don't want to lose that. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately, like you said, like it is not going to be possible for you to scale your custom work in the same way that you can something that's less time consuming, which is not a bad thing. It is just a fact of life, (laughs) you know? So to have the other revenue streams that allow you to continue to grow the business and to continue to grow your revenue from it, but still get that creative fulfillment from the more custom pieces too, is is a really good balance. I'm, I think that's really cool. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Lauren. (laughs) So, well, if people want to check out your shop, check out your adorable stuff, I think I need to get on the waiting list for some houses because we move like every two years. So I need like a little memento of every house that we live in. Yes. Where can they find you? Yeah. Okay. So on Instagram, I'm hipster.stitcher. And on Etsy, it's the hipster stitcher, all one word. All right, cool. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your strategy and just all of it. It's been a really fun conversation. It really has. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I will see you next week back here on the podcast. Same time, same place. Bye for now.